Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick, and today's guest is Linnea Sim, who is an educator, guide, community builder, artist, and the founder of Inner Play and Outer Work. Her mission is to help people create practices for their energetic nourishment and for the commitment to community care. Hi. Hi. For joining us. I'm really excited. It's so fun to, you know, be connected finally. We've, I think, been connected over the years just through email. And how fun is it to just see, um, you know, you expand your career and create such an amazing, amazing tool for people. So I'm really excited to learn about inner work and outer play. Or is it inner play and outer work? Yeah, inner play and outer work. People do that all the time. <laughs> And, um, and it's just such a genius, genius concept and so needed and obviously something that's been needed for a long time. So I just love the approach to really looking within to then come out and then do the work outside. So I'm really, really interested in learning more about how you, um, yeah, how you came upon that approach and take someone who's done a lot of work on themselves to really um, see that type of perspective. So I'm excited. So tell us more about it. Yeah. So it's really a crazy story actually, because the names are totally accidental. Like <laughs> I started interplay originally a couple of years ago, actually. Um, and it was really just like, it was a in a totally different form and I kind of abandoned it for a while and then came back to it this year and was like, I really want to do this full time. So I quit my job and I decided to pursue interplay. And so interplay is essentially what I like to call like a, a digital campground for energetic hygiene. So it's essentially all about teaching people how to practice a really, really intentional um, practice of self-care. So rather than just creating like rituals and routines that um, you do every single day, you know, it's like I work out for 30 minutes and then I like drink my tea or whatever it is. Instead, it's an approach that says, like, let's really get to understand our energy and understand the signs of when something's out of whack in our energetic body and then have a series of practices that we can turn to to write that specific block. So that's like really the vision of Interplay is it's a membership. Um, and essentially what we do is like we do workshops every single week um, for helping people understand their energy better through lots of different modalities. So we have people come in and teach like astrology and we have people come in and teach human design, et cetera, like kind of the, the big modalities you would think of. Um, and then I also teach a lot through interplay. And then we also do like more fun workshops that are like, we do like crafternoons. So we come together and like use creativity as a mechanism so we can show people like, you can turn to make a beading project maybe, and that can help spark this inspiration in you when you're feeling creatively blocked. Or maybe we do like a fun play practice so that that can kind of, you can see how that shifts your energy in a different way. So it's a really like experimental fun way to approach inner work, which is why it's called interplay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I started interplay first um, and it launched in February of this year. And then Outer work was a complete accident. So <laughs> um, outer work came about because after George Floyd was killed in May, I really had a reckoning as a million people did. Millions of people did, as I should say. Yeah. And I was having a conversation with my partner and I was just like, 
it's so frustrating that I feel like what happens is I knew this would happen. There'd be a big boom of energy and then a bust. And we've seen it happen now too, right? Like the summer was very like energized and then it's really settled down. And so I thought to myself, you know, like, well, I have this audience that's mostly white women and I have the experience of being a black woman and I have also a degree in sociology. So I was like, I can offer something like I know that I can help to educate people in some way. So I decided, I mean, I sent, I literally sent an email to my mailing list and was like, I'm really upset right now. I really want to commit myself to practicing anti-racism and not just like thinking about it for a week. Mm -hmm. And like, does anybody else out there want to do that with me? And I ended up getting like an overwhelming response and like people sending me like essays on their own racial reckoning, which was really beautiful for me. Like I, you know, as a black woman, especially in the wellness space, like I really felt very seen in that moment and very like, I just felt honored that people really wanted to show up. Um, and so I originally was going to just have like an email chain where I was going to send out some education items and reflection questions and action items every day. Um, and then after seeing the response to it, I realized like what would be really much more powerful would be to build a community where people could talk to each other. Um, so that's what I did. So I built outer work literally overnight. It was a complete <laughs> accident, like I said, and it wasn't called outer work at first. It was like inner plays, anti-racism group. And then like maybe a week in, I was like, oh my God, outer work. It makes so much sense because, yeah. you know, like it's really about creating that balance. Like I guess the both platforms together, what I hope that they do is create a balance where we're giving a lot to ourselves. We're understanding our energy. We're nourishing our energy through interplay. And then we have to have an output for that energy. And I think a beautiful place to put it is into our communities and into caring for the most marginalized people. So that's what Outer Work does. I Ooh. love that. I knew that was a spiel. <laughs> I completely agree. And I think that, like you said, it just makes so much sense because if those police officers, if people in our community were doing the inner work and we're following things like what you do at Interplay, then they would have the capacity to start looking at what's going on in their communities and how they're a part of that, right? And a part yeah. of, and how their actions are com just, yeah, completely, completely connected. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, it's really amazing how it just happened by accident. And I love that it's all authentic to you and based on your experience and also just the education that you have around bringing this work to life and to people who are interested in it. It makes so much sense. So I'm really excited for you as a person who's created a <laughs> career for yourself where you, I can tell just love what you do and are excited about it and have this passion and, and that's really what it takes, right? It's like, it's part of your experience. It's part of your education and background and you can reignite people, right? Like you said, there was like so much energy around it and it just, people can't compete or like, I don't want to say compete, but it's like the environmental stuff, right? It's like, sometimes you get overwhelmed and get paralyzed and you don't know what you can do to make change and create change. And there's so much more work to do than just post on Instagram and like be angry, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. But um, I think like really the issue is that there's no outlets. Like 
I've been thinking about this a lot lately because as Outer Work has been growing, I've been trying to figure out like, how do we make this the most sustainable for everyone, including myself? Because when we first started, I was writing new articles every day. And that was like so exhausting. It was like writing a research yeah. paper every day. Yeah. So now I've realized like, yes, the energy naturally settles. It's not necessarily that people don't care anymore. It's just that they don't know what to do next. And so I think, you know, that has been something that I've been really thinking about is how do we sustain this energy and move it forward? Um, because like you're saying, you know, people, it takes more than just posting on Instagram, but people don't know what that next step is. And so I've been thinking about how like, you know, in high school, we might be like in an after school club where we do volunteer work, right? Like I was in like a food service organization where we did food banking. Um, and there were all kinds of like key club and Leo club. I don't know if that was just my high school, but that's like, these clubs that people are in service organizations. And I've been thinking about how those don't really exist in adulthood. And that's really what yeah. I want outer work to become is like a place where eventually I want it to be more than just about anti-racism, but about social justice in general. And it kind of is already getting yeah. there. Um, mm -hmm. But for it to be a place where we can show up and like educate ourselves, reflect deeply on right now, at least um, on how, white supremacy culture is embedded in our, in us individually, um, and in our, in our circle. And then also to be able to take action and support the actions of a lot of people who are already doing amazing grassroots work. Um, so that's really the vision for it, because I think like you're saying, you know, it's, we need something to keep us moving forward. And I do think that is a strength of mine is reigniting people and saying, all right, let's go again. Like one of our slogans is when you're ready, begin again. Mm -hmm. um, because I do think rest is necessary. Taking time away is necessary. This work is overwhelming um, and it's depressing. It's really hard. It's really, really hard. And so I think it's important to take breaks, but it's also important to have a practice in place that you can return to. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. it's also just super important to look at also like the wellness industry, like like yes. interplay or is part of the wellness industry, like you said, and it's predominantly white. It's, um, it's not really accessible. And so mm -hmm. what are the way, but then we're talking about things like tapping into your intuition and having compassion and being, you know, <laughs> grateful and having and these beautiful, beautiful things that we want to remind ourselves to go back to and live in this like high vibe state. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really interesting to me because then it's like, how do you, I mean, I believe in so many practices like regenerative agriculture and so many things that are not accessible to people. Mm -hmm. And I want it to be, and I believe that it should. I believe if the government didn't subsidize things like soy and corn, we wouldn't have really, really cheap fast food like McDonald's and we wouldn't be, um, we wouldn't have these like factory farms and feedlots that are just mm -hmm. to feed the cow. It's so backward. We have all these farms that were growing all these things that are subsidized just to feed the animals to then feed the humans instead of, but then it's like this idea. And like in reality, where we're at right now is that we're not there. And so we're promoting things that mm -hmm. are difficult to attain. And so I'm just curious, like, you know, and it goes into every aspect. Like, I mean, you were a conscious city guide, right? Yeah. I used to work for conscious city guide. So, I mean, you have, you know, all the knowledge and all the, <laughs> and, and there's so much like even prescription medication and why, um, our most marginalized, our most vulnerable population 
is on like a lot of medications as well. And it's probably because they're, you know, the healthcare system in this country is really geared towards that type of medicine because preventative care isn't offered for insurance purposes. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's so, so deep. And when you start to talk about, Hey, like it might make more sense instead of going straight towards a prescription medication. If you're feeling this way, Hey, it might make sense to do this type of thing, which is obviously what you're offering at interplay. Not that you're talking about prescriptions, but like, Mm -hmm. that's awesome. But how can we bring this to more people without, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure you think about this all the time, right? Like how can this Mm -hmm. work be more accessible and be seen as more accessible as well? Um, and I just, that's something I ponder a lot. Yeah. I have a lot of ideas. I think it's hard to give like one blanket answer, right? Because it's going to vary so much based on, are we talking about giving people access to becoming practitioners in their communities? Cause I think that's really important. Are we talking about, you know, helping the everyday person have a better library of resources for their preventative care. That's one thing. I think it's really a matter of, I mean, this is my message to everyone in the wellness industry is like, identify where you are, like what place do you hold? Right. So maybe, you know, for you, you have a media company. Um, For me, like I, I guess I'm a practitioner. I don't really consider myself to be a Mm -hmm. practitioner, but more of an educator, yeah. um, it, but et cetera, on down the line. If you're a yoga teacher, you're a yoga teacher. So it's really about first identifying what is your position? Like, where are you located? I talk about positionality a lot in outer work. And essentially what it is, is yes, identify your occupation, but also identify like, what is your race? What is your gender? What's your socioeconomic status? What's your ability level? And in what categories do you have privilege because of those identifiers? So like, I'm straight that gives me privilege, right, et cetera, on down the line. Um, And that's really important because when you first identify your position, then you can see where you might have blind spots. So like if you're a white woman, you might have blind spots to any sort of BIPOC person, right, Mm -hmm. because you're not that person. You don't have that experience. So it's important to first identify the position that you hold. Um, And then I think it's important to really take on the task of, uh, of reparations in a sense, um, for yourself. So, you know, for example, in outer work, all BIPOC people can join outer work for free. I have the ability as the founder of that company to make that an option. And I think like, there's no reason that every single yoga teacher training shouldn't have a scholarship option for BIPOC. I think that like, yeah, maybe it does take some money out of the pocket of the practitioner, but that is what giving up your privilege is and creating equity is like, I, that's the whole point of the, the community care aspect of outer work is like, we can't do everything. Yeah. No one person can do every single thing. Right. But you can identify where you have some power and to leverage that power to support someone who doesn't have it. So it's, it's so hard to answer that question. Like what should people that, do? Though. But I think that's a good start. Yeah, no, I love that because I think it, it's really important for people to do the work to identify their privilege, like you said. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. is that something that you offer as a course in at Interplay? No, it's not actually. But again, like it's something I talk about a lot in outer work. Like I just wrote a post yesterday about voting as an anti-racist mm-hmm. and what that means and how you can do it. 
kind of vague, obviously, because everyone's voting in a different place. <laughs> but yeah. the first step was identify your position and, and identify your privilege so that you can see your blind spots. And then when you approach your ballot and you see things, you see propositions that are going to mostly affect marginalized people, you can remember, oh, well, I don't have the experience of being disabled. So when I'm voting on something that, you know, has to do with ADA laws or ADA compliance, I need to keep that in mind. And so I guess it's just something I more like embed into a lot of the lessons is this yeah. idea of positionality. Um, and I, but it's like, it's one of my biggest takeaways because I think it's a really approachable way of showing people where they hold privilege without yeah. scaring them off. This episode is brought to you by Underbears. Underbears believes in creating a comfier, kinder world with undergarments that organically move with you, not against you. That means no more painful wires, uncomfortable hooks, fussy strap adjusters, artificial lining, sweaty padding, or wetsuit-like smoothing. Whenever possible, they work with recycled materials and 100% GOTS certified organic cotton. Check out Underbears online at underbears.com and first-time fullest buyers can enjoy 10% off with promo code THEFULLEST. That's underbears.com with promo code THEFULLEST. I had this crazy experience when my son was born mm-hmm. where he was like four days old and we went to the hospital for some genetic condition that they said he has. And, um, I was like really adamant about, um, you know, I wanted to continue nursing him and they wanted to have me like, I'm lucky I can nurse. So then I was like, I'm going to keep nursing him. He's only four. I don't want you to give him formula. Um, I don't want you to take blood from him. So I was kind of like a difficult mom. Um, mm-hmm. And then what happened was they called child services on me and then there were cops and CPS like in my room about to take my kid away from me. And I got into this like place where I was like, um, what the hell is going on? Like, and basically the only reason they didn't take him from me is because they came to my house and they saw that I had, um, um, I live in a nice home and mm-hmm. I have a crib. Like it's, it's ridiculous. I had to have a crib to have him come home with me. And I, I felt really upset because I had one, but I was like, what if I was, you know, I didn't live as in as nice of a place. And what if I was a parent who chose to co-sleep, but because of my socioeconomic status, they saw that as like not mm-hmm. an adequate parent. And it mm-hmm. really gave me a completely different perspective on the way people are treated whether with like socioeconomic status and it made me upset Mm -hmm. because like we vote on especially as like liberals right we vote on like big government and we want these like programs but we don't necessarily see how um the racism is like intertwined in those programs and like i was a lot about like after that i just kind of like did a deep dive into things like the foster care system and how mm-hmm. like predominantly black kids getting removed from their families. And instead of like um, really helping the parents, let's say they're alcoholic or something's going on, like instead of giving them um, the chance to like do work on themselves, you just in- immediately remove the children. Um, and like, I'm not saying that, you know, I, it's a really tough situation. It's not black or white. Right. But like, right. Um, but it's still really interesting to me because um when all this stuff started happening i was reading about like when 
uh, foster care abolitionists. And like, there's just a lot of, um, a lot to like learn about and look into. And I think mm-hmm. it's important to educate ourselves and see how that's, cause it's really like my pediatrician was the one that spoke to the hospital and was like, no, like they're really great parents. This is ridiculous. Also, you don't treat people like this. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I just felt like so sad, even though nothing, I mean, I locked out, right? Like I had mm-hmm. my child, everything's great. The case was dropped, everything, but it just made me think about what if, and like mm-hmm. there are millions of people in that situation and mm-hmm. it really pisses me off. So I feel like yeah. it's important, like you said, to like see that perspective when you're voting and see that it's not as simple as, Hey, like we're going to give support in this area and all is going to be good. It's like, no, you need to continue to say like, there needs to be reform. There needs to be better training. There needs to be more of this. So I think that's like, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, when you start talking about, especially like government bureaucracy and the racism that's embedded in all of these systems, that is just like, that will overwhelm you in five seconds. I mean, it's just like, it's just so deep and it's so multi-layered, but really it's also very simple at the same time. I mean, it's like, who are the people that are in power? Like, okay, for example, I had a conversation with someone the other day about the local election here in Santa Cruz. And there's, there's a candidate running who is supported by the Santa Cruz DSA and they're formally homeless and they're running for city council. And the person I was talking to is saying like, well, I'm all for that. Like, I, I like the idea of someone being formerly homeless, like being on the board. Cause we have a, we have a lot of homeless people in yeah. Santa Cruz, unhoused people in Santa Cruz. Um, and so that's like an intro, that's a great perspective to have. Right. And this person I was talking to was like, but I just don't know if they're qualified for the job. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let's talk about that. Like, let's talk about qualifications are (laughs) and what that means because like you think about it like all of that person likely I mean I can't I don't want to assume but I assume they come from a low-income background Mm -hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure that is the case I've done a little bit of research on this person and um, really when we think about who is who the city councils were built to have on their board to have on the council the qualifications and requirements to become a member and to feel like to, to be approved by the general public are so rooted in white supremacy and classism, et cetera. Right. So yeah. it's like, of course, the person's not quote unquote qualified because this position was literally made to keep people like them out. And it's yeah. the same thing on down the line in bureaucracy. It's in every single system. These systems were built to keep BIPOC people oppressed. And that's just the truth. Like, and some of it, I think some of it is a byproduct of a lack of understanding. It's a byproduct of ignorance, right? Mm-hmm. But I think some of it is intentional. Um, and there is a balance there of intentionality and then ignorance and then, or lack of intentionality, I should say, and then ignorance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, down, down the line. But what you get at the end of the line is just these systems that are built and have these arbitrary rules that overwhelmingly and disproportionately affect IPOC. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's definitely super overwhelming and it's super disheartening. And I think that 
it can be hard as an individual citizen to feel like you have any sort of power over those systems. But I think the most important thing, I mean, I sound like a broken record, but I really do think the most important thing is community care. Because for example, there's a woman named Mia Birdsong who wrote a book called How We Show Up. It's really beautiful. It's a book all about community. It came out this year. Um, and it's specifically about community care and this concept of it. And you start talking about the foster care system. I thought about it because she has a, a, an example in there of people that she knows, um, I think in the Bay Area, who are friends with a family who is low income. And essentially, whenever that family gets really down on their luck, what they do is they send their kids to go live with this other couple for a while. And they have this arrangement where that basically keeps their kids out of the foster care system and make sure that their kids are taken care of. Um, and they're going to go stay with like auntie and uncle or whoever, right? Like they're going to stay with people that they know. So it creates yeah. for the children and you can just yeah. see like that's a beautiful example of community care. And so yeah. what I really like want to do with outer work and like what I, I don't even care if people join outer work. Like I just want people yeah. to do this on their own is like figure out how you can actually show up for people who are in marginalized positions around you figure out like, and that means like that includes reflecting upon your own ways of oppression because you can't show up for someone else. If you are doing oppressive things, like nobody wants to, nobody's going to give you their kids to take care of if you're making microaggressions at them. Right. So it's yeah. like, you have to do that work. You have to do that work first and have an understanding and an education around what those people are facing and how you're contributing to it. And then developing a plan of action for like, this is how I'm going to show up in my community. Because again, like this is my position. This is what I have to offer. I call it finding your superpower. It's like, what do you have to offer? What skills do you have? What extra resources do you have? And then like, where can you take those skills and resources to support someone else? So yeah, I just think community care is really the I think, Yeah, I think like you said there, it makes sense, right? Like educating someone so that they can go on and go in their own community and be the yoga teacher or be the mm -hmm. acupuncturist or whatever practitioner it is, instead of just coming into a community and being like, Hey, I'm expanding my practice into this community. And I'm going to tell oh, you, you know? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that more people look at it that way because people don't see things that way. Right. So yeah. There's this yeah. level of ignorance that you're talking about, and and they might see it as well. We're we're bringing this into this community to help them, but instead of someone from yeah. the community seeking it out and wanting it, you know, and right. seeing that there's a need and seeing that there's people that want it, and they're going to be the ones. So it's yes. a completely different approach. Um, and it's there's a, there's a yeah. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. I just wanted to I just wanted to like jump in there and say like a couple of things like one going into a community, um, especially as like a white person going into um, a BIPOC community, especially and saying like, I'm here to help is like white saviorism. And yeah. also it's so important to note that like this work is not only for marginalized people, right? Like we are all oppressed in some way by this system of white supremacy and capitalism and ableism and you know, um, heteronormativity, et cetera, on down the line. Like we are all oppressed by it. We all are mm -hmm. all suffering from it. And the way to rid that suffering is to free the most marginalized because then we all get freed, right? That's like a, it's, I'm not creating something new here. Like that is a, a common social justice principle is that it's like, you know, 
we're not free until we're all free. And that's like, that's a real thing. It's, I think people throw that phrase around, but it's a real thing because like I read this beautiful, um, it's like a, a manifesto essentially. And I cannot remember the name of it at this moment, but it's essentially, um, from this black feminist group. It's been around since I think the sixties or seventies. And they're the ones that kind of came up with that, that language about like, we're not free until we're all free because they were like a black woman because she is oppressed by both her race and her gender is the most unliberated person. And I mean, we can make arguments that that has changed as gender has become more fluid, et cetera. But the point is, is that if we see um, a black woman as being the most marginalized, then when we free a black woman, we have to be, we have to basically free everyone that's on the ladder um, above her to get there. Does that make sense? So it's like, when you start to think of it that way, it starts to make a lot of sense. Like, Oh, how do I provide resources for the most marginalized people? Because then everyone that's quote unquote above them on this ladder gets freed too. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like doing the energetic work, right? You want to go back Mm -hmm. all the way to the first incident. Mm -hmm. Then yes, all the things after that. Exactly. Yeah. There's so many parallels between this like community care work and self-care work. There's Mm -hmm. so many parallels. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about the capitalization on movements like Black Lives Matter? Mm. Well, on one hand, sharing about the movement and having these brands or whoever it is, like talk about it and getting it out there is right. One step to like Mm -hmm. getting think differently but then when you kind of like look deeply into it and kind of like recognize like where is this intention coming from mm-hmm. then it's just like that's disheartening and then you just mm-hmm. um it makes you sick but then I don't know so I'm sure like you have a lot to say about that I'm curious because I think yeah yeah go ahead <laughs> I really think it boils down to putting your money where your mouth is I think it's kind of that simple like it's great for brands to be raising awareness around anti-racism work and around social justice movements. But if they're not committed to eradicating the racism within their own companies, if they're not committed to working with the communities that they serve, especially like think about like gentrifying communities, like in LA, you know, like Silver Lake Echo Park, there's all of these brands who I'm sure are posting, like they're all these cute, like independent brands that I'm sure are posting all kinds of things to, in an attempt to be like liberal and woke, but maybe, you know, are they addressing the fact that they gentrified these areas? Are they addressing how they can, are they coming up with a real action plan for supporting the communities that they're in, et cetera? So I think, again, it goes back to that positionality thing. Like, where literally where are you is another important part of positionality and who was there before you and how are you supporting those people etc so i think it really it really boils down to yeah put your money where your mouth is put your plans where your mouth is and this is a great moment to share <laughs> that outer work is actually opening a new group specifically for business leaders and for organizations to come in and do anti-racism work um, in a sustained way, which is really exciting because I see, again, this big boom where like this happened in June and people are like, oh, we're hiring this person to come in and give a talk about diversity and 
equity and inclusion. And then it's like, cool. So then what after that, like, are you just going to be done after June, even though you're going to, you're going to hire more people down the line who aren't going to get that training, et cetera. Right. Like there's so many things that you need to do besides having a one and done training. And so I'm super excited because I started building this concept out. It's called teamwork. Um, I started building this concept out a few months ago with this woman who actually reached out to me after I sent that first email saying, I want to dive into anti-racism work with everyone before outer work was even a thing. Um, and her name's Dr. Kim Perkins and she's an organizational psychologist and black woman in LA. Um, and she was like, I want to do this work too. And I had this experience Aww. working with companies. And so we built this offering and it's really exciting. Yeah. So it's going to operate like as teamwork does in a membership platform site. And you get like fresh content from Kim every week about like building the business case for anti-racism and reviewing your hiring practices or reviewing your leadership practices, et cetera. Like you're going to get to do this work weekly basis, which is super cool. Yeah. Right. I'm very excited about it. So needed. I can't wait for that to come out. Yeah. Amazing. I think it's going to come out the day that this airs. So okay, cool. Yeah. Great. Let's definitely get that information out there. I want to get on it for the fullest. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. really awesome. Yeah. I think it's so important. I'm in a lot of like mom entrepreneur groups and mm-hmm. everyone was asking about how can I implement this in my company and what can I do? Mm-hmm. But, but like you said, a one-time thing isn't going to do anything. And then it's like a one-time thing to say, Hey, I did it, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, I think it's important, especially for small businesses, because it's like, okay, we have three people that work for us, like how, Mm -hmm. and we live in this community. It's not a very diverse community. So like, it's just an interesting thing to continue to work on and be like, okay, well maybe right now it does, it's not within your organization, you're small, Mm -hmm. you're not expanding, but when you do expand or when you do do things or you can still do the inner work, you can still, there's still so much you can work on. And then when you do expand, then you can start looking into it. You know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the idea is everyone's going to be at a different, everyone's at a different starting point, whether it's internally or externally, like you're saying, yeah. it's like, we only have a very small business. So a lot of people can't afford to hire these like diversity, equity and inclusion yeah. consultants. Like they're expensive um, and rightfully so. But I think that there should be access for people with small businesses um, and for people with large companies, like we're welcoming everyone in because we really think like one people have a lot to learn from each other. That's been a huge thing we've seen in outer work is people sharing this exchange of information and how valuable that is. Um, and so mm-hmm. we're hoping for that same vibe in teamwork, like sharing across industries, sharing across company size levels, um, sharing that kind of insight. And also I think, you know, it's just, it's just such a beautiful opportunity to gather that knowledge. Like, like we're saying, you know, so that you can come back to it later. You might not need it this minute, but you can come back to it and it'll be there for you when you're building out your um, hiring guidelines or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's, I just think it's really needed and I'm just really, I'm really proud of what it is. Like I'm really proud of what we've built. So I'm excited about that. I'm so inspired by you. Thank you so much. Thanks. And, and sharing with us and, and doing this work. It's yeah. needed. like you're saying, it's really needed and it's a great way to keep it accessible and help people really find that bridge, right? That's yeah, the inner work, the outer work and the teamwork. That's super <laughs> cool. Yeah. I love all the names. 
Thanks. So yeah, thank people, you. How can people find you? Oh, lots of places. So my personal Instagram is at Linnea Sims, L-E-N-E-A-S-I-M-S. And then Interplay is at inner.play on Instagram and Outerwork is at outer.work on Instagram. Um, yeah, and I know that you're going to link to the website's where people can sign up um, and you can sign up for hopefully when this is out, you'll be able to sign up for outer work. You can sign up for teamwork, which includes a membership to outer work. Um, and we also have another group actually for parents, um, mostly for parents of small children um, wow. that's called imagine tolerance. And that's a really cool group that's led by a, um, an early childhood educator named Lily Peters. So, yeah. Wow. I need to join all of them. <laughs> I'm so excited. Thank you so much, Linnea. I'm so excited to have yeah. you here and I can't wait to have you on more.